You're listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Brand Engagement and Multimedia Strategy at Stylus. Today we're going to be talking about the future of music, how the industry is changing in response to the pandemic, what that means for artists and performers, and how brands can play their part. To discuss this, I'm joined by Sherry Hu, writer and founder of Water & Music, a membership-funded email newsletter, research hub, and community forum dedicated to the fine print of innovation in the music business. So welcome, Sherry. First of all, I'd love to, you to tell me about Water & Music, um, because it's a really interesting sort of structure you've got, how you came to create this community and set up with Patreon, um, and now made it very financially viable. I think, in fact, you've, you've just hired or are hiring uh, a staff writer. I think it's a really interesting case study in how to succeed in the new passion economy. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that. Yes, thank you so much, Christian, for that introduction. I guess to, to lead into answering your question, I think it would be helpful to share a bit more about my background and I guess how I got to where I am now. So I have been a full-time freelance writer for my whole professional career. I've been writing about the intersection of music and tech specifically for around five years now. So since 2015, and I spent the good part of like three to four years freelance writing in, in the traditional sense. So like writing for a lot of different publications, like I wrote for Forbes for several years for Billboard as well. Like got this opportunity to write for Forbes as a contributor because they were looking for people to specialize in music streaming, music tech. And immediately upon, I guess, landing this gig and starting to write, what I realized is not only that I just enjoyed writing so much and kind of the research and interview process as a way to grapple with industry issues around tech, but also there were very few people at the time and even now who focused on that as their beat and like were really digging into these issues at a more like analytical, critical level. So that kind of motivated me uh, to even just like continue freelance writing and to continue pursuing that path. And then I also had my own newsletter uh, that I named Water and Music after this interview that I saw on YouTube between Kendrick Lamar and Quincy Jones. And at the end, Quincy said, the last two things to leave this planet will be water and music. And I thought that just like personally, it was, I found that to be very philosophically compelling. It really got to the role that music played in, in his life and my life and in so many people's lives in the industry. So I just stuck with that. But at the time, the newsletter was a pretty informal way just to keep people updated on my freelance writing. So I started it without monetizing it at all around like 2016. But then I realized kind of as I grew the newsletter, as I kept writing, the newsletter could also be a space for me to share my own thoughts in a kind of sandbox way of like experimenting with different like frameworks or theories in a way that didn't necessarily fit in, you know, a legacy trade publication or in like a more established business publication. And the audience for my newsletter actually like grew more quickly as well, the more I treated my newsletter in that way, kind of as an exclusive outlet for my own analysis on music and tech. And then come 2019, so around February of last year, it got to the point where just like by the numbers of it, I, I thought it could be really interesting to try to monetize a newsletter. And I thought there was even still like four years later after I started writing, there was a huge open space for a very, I guess, innovation and tech focused brand around the music industry that I just was not seeing elsewhere in terms of publications investing in that perspective. So I launched my Patreon page around my newsletter in February 2019, 
it still took a good part of a year because I was still freelancing um, kind of as my main source of income to get to the point where I could make a full-time living just from membership alone. And so it was, I guess, a relatively slow process, but I'm really grateful now to be in the point where, yes, not only am I spending most of my time on my newsletter because I can afford to, but also I am expanding the editorial team for my newsletter. I'm hiring two weekly columnists, I guess, as of this, the, the time of this recording, definitely thinking about, I guess, expanding water music as its own media brand in a way that, in which I am still, of course, like very involved with it directly, but it isn't necessarily tied to me. It's, you know, something that is bigger than myself and can get more people involved. It's, it's a really interesting kind of shift that I think a lot of entrepreneurs in this passion economy of which you speak are kind of thinking about also as they grow their own businesses. I think, you know, actually we're seeing this kind of passion economy emerging across every industry and it seems particularly crucial right now for musicians. So I'd love to hear about what sort of innovation you're seeing from artists who, you know, maybe are following your um, path to create a kind of direct-to-consumer personal brand outside of the traditional industry infrastructure. I think one one side of the shift that's happening this year in terms of what artists are experimenting with actually goes back to the very old school idea of a fan club, which I feel like has like has been around for for decades. But I, I guess one kind of an unforeseen consequence of the internet is that the notion of a fan club felt less relevant or maybe less desirable for a lot of artists who were aiming for scale. Like the promise of scale that came with the internet, that came with, you know, I guess getting placed algorithmically on a Spotify playlist and like instantly reaching thousands or millions of listeners. A lot of people in society in general have been trained to see that as kind of the marker of success and kind of what a music career should be for rather than catering to kind of like a smaller group of super fans and like really segmenting properly that way. So with with touring income off the table for kind of everyone involved in that industry, in, in that sector, sorry, I think a lot of artists are investing more in kind of direct to fan income in various ways. So that takes the form of like paid memberships. So I it's it's very interesting for someone like myself to like report on a meta level on this, given that I that's how I make my income as a writer as well. But like paid membership platforms like Patreon, I think the number of musicians on their platform has grown by 200% over the last six months since March. Not only the number of artists, but also I think it's like a close to 100%. It's like 80 to 100% growth also in the amount, in like the number of fans who are pledging and like supporting artists and the amount that they're pledging, which is kind of an interesting counter force to, I think the wider economic challenges that that the world is facing. I think live streaming to an extent plays a role in this as well in that a lot of a lot of producers especially so music producers and independent artists mostly in like the electronic and hip hop world are making a decent income off of Twitch now and Twitch kind of has multiple revenue streams you can either subscribe monthly to a channel directly for i think minimum is $5 a month from the fan side or you can kind of buy these virtual currencies within the app that you could then like gift to the artist and that they're called bits i believe so there's kind of like a more diversified income stream just within an app like twitch and, and many other competing platforms alone that i think artists well that, that just purely is not available on a spotify or apple music i've also seen a lot of definitely like newer kinds of experiences and fan interactions that are not entirely new but have like certainly 
accelerated as a result of the pandemic and become more, I try to avoid using the word like normalized, but definitely more like commonplace in a way that they wouldn't have before. What comes top of mind for me here is like the intersection of music and gaming. I feel like relatively fewer artists in previous years had even thought of gaming as a fan engagement outlet. Like maybe they thought, oh, I can, you know, sync my song to NBA 2K or something or this like FIFA game and like help drive streams of my song through that soundtrack, less so like engaging with fans. But I think also as games themselves evolve into beyond just like games into, I think like de, de facto social spaces for a lot of people. Um, I would I would put like games like Fortnite, platforms like Roblox or like Minecraft in this category. A lot of artists have like held concerts and games. There's a pop artist, Ava Max, who just held a, an album listening party in Roblox. Just that as like, that is a concept. If you'd like told me that five years ago when I started, I would have like, I would have thought that was kind of ridiculous. I think a lot of people would have felt the same, but now it seems like it's, it's definitely like a rational next step and also like a creatively exciting next step too, in terms of uh, these online community experiences around music. You talked a little bit there about sort of what's changed because of the pandemic and what new sort of platforms are emerging. And obviously gaming, I would like to talk about in a minute, but I've also been very interested in the way that something like Zoom, which we're on right now, has has sort of become a, a tool for fan engagement. I mean, I, I wrote a whole piece about this for Stylus, and one of the sort of key examples was Charlie XCX, who uh, obviously recorded a whole album during lockdown. But not just that, she sort of used Zoom to, to, to connect with her fans, get their advice. There was almost a kind of co-collaboration style thing going on. And I believe that you took part in one of these Charlie XCX calls. I'd be interested to hear about what you thought, whether it, whether this is a kind of, again, just another facet of an old fan club style uh, meet and greet, or whether you felt like it was a little bit of a paradigm shift. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a super interesting experience to be in that Zoom call. It was, it was myself, a few other music journalists and writers, a lot of Charlie XCX's like celebrity friends, even just the fact that she did bring people together in that way. So like journalists, which I guess would normally be siloed off in like a press conference format, celebrity friends who I guess would, you would just like not see them interacting that much at all, with the exception of like Instagram Live or something. And she also brought up several like of her super fans or more loyal fans towards the end to ask her questions. And normally, yeah, I guess normally to like the press conference kind of concept, you, you only really see an artist interacting with those different groups of people in, in kind of different events and different contexts. And so to have them all together to kind of like flatten out that interaction in a way, which is in part uh, due to Zoom's interface or any kind of video conferencing interface, it is flat, which like, it, so some people kind of has like downsides, but in this, in this context of like bringing multiple groups of people from her career and her life together, I think that is super compelling. And it does, the event itself and like how she handled these Zoom calls over time, does absolutely point to a paradigm shift in kind of what I've what I've slowly seen happen over the last five years at least that, that I've been covering music and tech is I guess how, how I think about it is that the process leading up to the end product is the product as much as the outcome. So Charlie XCX was holding these sessions in the context of releasing an album in quarantine. Normally if you are whether you're a major label or an indie label there, there's like, there is, I don't know if pride is the best word, 
pride or like excitement in the sense of like it, it, in in the sense of mystery and secrecy like oh the artist is working on this album over the course of several months or a year we don't know what will come out and then i guess historically the artist will kind of tease the process only as as a way of like marketing the end product not kind of as a product in and of itself and it would maybe come up like a week before the album came out like oh here are some uh, photos from me in the studio and it wasn't really kind of the centerpiece the centerpiece was the actual album or the actual song itself whereas now i feel like it's especially for more loyal fans especially for fans who may be aspiring musicians themselves or who are active musicians themselves kind of seeing the process through which an artist brings one of their favorite songs to life i think is super exciting and that is so i guess aside from just these kinds of zoom calls that are updating fans on a regular basis that's how I'm seeing a ton of producers build audiences on Twitch for the first time and like actually building fan bases for the first time, which is uh, pretty compelling to me. They just screen share their like digital audio workstation and just make beats for several hours. As a fan, like most likely you're not going to tune in the whole time, but even just the, the, the prospect of having access to that kind of experience. And if you like type something in the chat and it's like not too crazy, then the artist or producer will very likely respond to you like having that kind of real-time feedback in both directions, I think is is really exciting and newer for, for both sides. And is something that is enabled by technology like live streaming. And it's also, yeah, I think, I think just a logical next step for artists. A lot of touring artists who just can't work, but want to keep working somehow and want to keep channeling their creativity somehow. I think it, involving fans kind of as co-creators, as spectators in the process in this way is, is definitely exciting. And yeah, again, has definitely accelerated this year. Yeah, I think that's a really important, interesting point, this idea of process as, you know, the narrative or part of the narrative. I think that's an interesting strategy for, for any brand, actually, <clears throat> in any industry. And we're seeing it more and more with, mm. with brands who are allowing sort of or enabling people to come in and, and see kind of behind the scenes process and using that to build, you know, uh, stronger engagement. So let's just go back to gaming quickly, because obviously, you know, we, we now talk about it as we now talk about something like Fortnite as a potential venue for, for artists, but obviously we're not talking about the real artists. We're talking about digital versions of these artists. So I think one of the things I'd like to hear, or, you know, if, if you could sort of, because I, I'm I'm slightly confused myself on this point in terms of who who gets access to this opportunity because you know mm. we've had we've had these huge festivals in things like Roblox and a number of bands have played but I'm assuming that somebody needs to design these digital doppelgangers is this something which anybody can 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 do or do you have to be Travis Scott to be able to pull off this kind of gaming world performance. Yeah, I think that's definitely a super important question around accessibility. I think the there are a couple of layers. So one, I guess the first element of this question is who gets access to the platform creatively and who can create their own experiences. In the case of Fortnite and Epic Games, absolutely, it's like a top 1% of artists kind of situation. Epic Games is very one of the biggest, you know, corporate game developers. And so in their artist partnerships, I think they will be working with, mostly with the Travis Scotts of the world, and I think it's telling, not, not, not a bad thing, but it's telling that ever since that amazing and like truly immersive Travis Scott show, they haven't really, you know, pulled that off since. And it's been several months and their music strategy is actually kind of shifted towards something that's relatively lower cost where they partner with artists to 
essentially, I have mixed feelings about this. They're essentially putting static YouTube videos into a screen in the Fortnite game. So it's definitely not as immersive or 360. It's kind of just like, I guess, yeah, I think it's the equivalent of a billboard in the game that you just kind of go to. It's a dedicated venue in their like party royale, non-combat mode. But the artists they've worked with there, they're almost all from like the major label or already established scene. So yeah, they did a video premiere with BTS. They had a show with Dominic Fike, who I guess is more up and coming, but he's a major label artist. They did a show with Anderson Pack as well, who's already been in the game for a long time. So yeah, definitely for Fortnite, where not anyone can kind of create their own experience within the game, definitely more exclusive. I think for games like Minecraft, where anyone can create their own server, Roblox, I think, is also um, true. Like, anyone can create their own server, create their own experience. Those have been, Minecraft in particular, has been a much more popular option for, like, more independent kind of DIY artists and communities as a result of that. It, but yes, it does, of course, take time. It does take a specific skill set and familiarity with, I guess, how the game works. I, I only actually, like, bought Minecraft and started learning this this year, and it does take a little bit of time to, like, get used to the controls, to, I guess, how to navigate or, like, enter private servers. It's, it's definitely, it takes, you know, a lot more layers and instructions than just opening a Zoom call or, you know, pressing a Zoom link. And so that, that that's, it's not insurmountable, but I, I've definitely seen a lot of instances. He's not there anymore, but a former Rolling Stone writer, Charles Holmes, wrote about how he like got shot down a bunch of times in Fortnite trying to get to the Travis Scott show, <laughs> which is a very normal occurrence in Fortnite, I guess, if you ever played the game. But and that, that's kind of humorous. And there's a way to like get over that and avoid that. But yeah, just something to keep in mind in that like these game environments have very specific mechanics. It's definitely not as simple as just showing up to a venue in person. Certainly not. So yeah, just being clear about that is, I think, would be better for all sides moving forward. Yeah, it sounds like the digital version of getting lost in Glastonbury, you know, at four in the morning. Yes, yes, but a much more dramatic way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, in in the course of your, you know, work as a writer and researcher, do you talk to, because obviously... Obviously, brands and music have had, you know, a great relationship for many, many years. And music is still so important to branding and marketing. I wonder, do you talk to brands about the challenges or, or the opportunities that, that they're seeking in terms of working with artists now? Has it changed? Has it, has it gone beyond mere sort of, you know, syncing, syncing tracks and sponsoring um, events and that kind of stuff? With this rise of new technology, are there more opportunities for brands to work with performers? Hmm. I guess the short answer is absolutely there are more opportunities than ever, in part because I, I think over, over the years, and especially this year, many artists have become much more open to that opportunity. I guess one thing I'm thinking about is that I'm, I'm hard-pressed to find new brands that have come up, that have like really invested in long-term music initiatives that actually have a tangible impact on music culture. I think kind of the, the, the first or most, most recent wave of those kinds of initiatives had largely gone away. The, the, fir- the main example is Red Bull Music Academy, which I actually only learned recently was like run or maintained by an outside agency or consultancy, but they, they wound down that whole initiative, which involved a lot of like artist grants, giving them access to studios, educational resources, was like a huge like breeding ground for a lot of artists who I follow personally, especially in the electronic world. Yeah, so that shut down, I think, late last year, earlier this year. And so I've, so most of, the vast majority of like the brand 
campaigns I've seen have just been campaigns. They haven't really had a deeper impact on music culture. And I think that there is an opportunity, especially now that initiatives like Red Bull Music Academy are gone to have, to kind of invest in, especially, I guess, thinking from the brand perspective, it's more, also just more cost-effective and maybe more long-term, like, impactful to work with kind of artists who are coming up, as opposed to only working with the already established artists because you want the most reach. So, yeah, I've, I've, I haven't really seen any other brand kind of step up in that respect. The one exception, which I don't know what the future of this is, but the past couple of years, W Hotels has actually put together an interesting, like, music strategy, which I think is super smart given how much musicians at the time had been on tour. You know, having dedicated hotels with recording studios they could reserve, having, like, music festivals around, like, one of their hotels, just offering these kind of travel resources for artists. That's a great way for a brand to kind of integrate itself into music into artists' already existing lifestyles. But with the pandemic kind of ravaging that whole side of things in terms of the hospitality industry, I'm not sure what the future of that is. But um, yeah. yeah, I'd like to see more things like that. And, and do you think, I mean, talking specifically about either music or, you know, your your work as a, as a creator and writer, do you think there's a, what's a consumer problem or challenge you don't think has been successfully solved yet? One that I, there's a lot of activity around, but there hasn't been a perfect answer for is outside of gaming, what are the outlets for like more spontaneous and immersive interaction online? I think there are a lot of people who are kind of like burned out by too many Zooms per day. Um, and I think that totally makes sense because it's just like a vestige of, you know, actual real world interaction kind of flattened on into two dimensional space. So I'm, I'm, kind of a mild obsession with like experimenting with a lot of different apps that are out there that make kind of online meetups and online conversations more immersive and more spatial I think is the key thing like incorporating a sense of movement into how you interact spontaneously with people so I'm really into apps like Gather Town I think is like a fun one where everyone is represented by an avatar speaking of avatars I think you mentioned a bit back and kind of like be able to walk around this space to kind of beat different groups of people. I've used Icebreaker for a lot of community events for my own newsletter. It allows, it's like a video app that allows for kind of randomized one-on-one speed conversations among people in a community. That's been really helpful for me. There's another one called Cozy Town that also incorporates spatial audio, which I think is really cool. So like if you are walking towards or away from someone to like the left or the right, their audio would like change accordingly. So yeah, I don't think any of these one apps is like the answer to the future of online communication, but I would like to see more experimentation with that. How to make communication something that you don't just get burnt out by immediately. How do you make it more more enjoyable and more fun? Brilliant. That's really interesting. And, and finally, what individuals or, or startups or brands do you look to for inspiration in your work? Yeah, that's a good question. I, let's see. I'm really into, I guess, any individual or brand that isn't just pandering to the lowest common denominator. That's a very like low standard maybe, but like really has a strong point of view and is, I guess on the individual side is like making a living off of truly just like pursuing their passion and making the most out of that. There's one artist named Madame Gandhi, who's like an example. She's kind of an upcoming artist, she's a drummer but she also has a Harvard MBA and is like super smart about business and is also super has takes a very like activist stance, very outspoken feminist and is able to like combine 
all those different elements like feminism and music and very sharp business acumen kind of into building her own independent career she's like totally diy isn't signed to a label or anything like that yeah i think i'm I'm definitely inspired by individuals like that who both are kind of true to themselves don't necessarily feel like they have to follow a certain linear path to get the career that they're looking for is something that i think about all the time being in the world of digital media where there are these very established publications but there also are kind of independent writers doing their own thing fantastic well thank you so much for for talking with me i'd like to thank my guest sherry who and thank you for listening and i hope you'll join me next time for more future thinking from stylus You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available.